Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hi, everybody. Chad Madden here with the Grow Your Practice podcast. And today, a very special guest, Paul Welk. Uh, Paul is both a physical therapist and an attorney with Tucker and Orangeburg. Um, I've personally worked with Paul in my private practice journey for the last, I think, uh, however long you've been at Tucker and Orangeburg, 15, 15 years, 19 years, I, I don't know. Welcome welcome to the podcast here, Paul. Thanks for doing this. No problem, Jen. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So uh, do you want to give a little bit of a story for those um, who don't know you about how you went from becoming a or being a physical therapist and uh, transition over to an attorney helping a physical therapist. Sure. Uh, I went to physical therapy school in Duquesne uh, at, out here in Pittsburgh and then had an opportunity to work for a number of years at a PT private practice. Uh, during my time at Duquesne, I had a chance to work at APTA in their government affairs office down in Alexandria, Virginia. Got a little interested in certainly the non-clinical aspects of therapy. And when looking at additional, you know, further options in my career, decided to go to law school, concentrate in the healthcare space, and then work in physical therapy when finishing up law school. So I've been here at Tucker Orangeburg and practicing in a, as an attorney now, I guess, since about 2004. And the vast majority of my work is working with physical therapy, private practices. Awesome. So... First thing I want to ask you about is trends. Um, obviously, within the hey, at least the groups, the forums, the association events that I've had, the conversations that I've had with owners, uh, the biggest thing that's coming up is you know concerns, financial concerns here moving forward. We have inflation, cost of business going up, seemingly uh, getting bombarded with declining reimbursements as well. Um, what, what's your feel on that? What are you hearing and, uh, anything that we can do to mitigate that or help us think through the financial storm that we're in right now? Yeah, I mean, we are certainly seeing that across the industry, obviously inflation hitting everyone issues related to recruitment, retention, the, the cost of staff and being able to provide those services to patients, you know, once they come in the door, I, I think from a trends perspective. Uh, and some of these are are things that have been out there for a while, but I think we're seeing practices that are revisiting them. So, for example, you know, as as financial positions change within the practice, does it cause the practice to look at how it compensates therapists by way of example? So certainly we've seen for a number of years a trend away from strict salary-based compensation without any type of an incentive. I think we're seeing a little bit more of a risk-sharing type model. And what I mean by that is where, you know, the compensation of the therapist is based, you know, at least in part on the financial performance of the practice to try to align incentives amongst therapists and owners. So I think we see that from a trends perspective. I think it's interesting. We, we I work with a lot of physical therapy clients and more than one have said that, you know, the, the pandemic was certainly a, a, a very tough thing to navigate through, but it caused them to reassess their practice internally and probably take some steps that they otherwise wouldn't have. So whether it's that, you know, at that point, whether you had extra staff you didn't need or staff that weren't great performers, 
you know, really that caused people to make some hard decisions. And I think you're going to sort of see that now, again, hopefully, certainly not to the same degree, but that continual assessment of practices where I think historically, many years ago, it was probably a little bit easier to, you know, run a practice the same way day after day after day with less adjustments and be able to survive. So I think trend-wise, those are a couple of things we're seeing. And I think maybe lastly, we're also seeing a, a, a greater trend towards private practices looking at direct to employer opportunities uh, where they feel like they can, from a revenue generation standpoint, maybe improve their position over you know, some traditional payer relationships and look at that as either an additional line of revenue or potentially a, a substitution for you know other revenue that may not be uh, as profitable as the practice would like. Yeah, I, I know in the prep for this, um, I had shared that we created a relationship recently with a large employer in our area. Um, and the, the, you know, essentially what that did for us is we're not only the only PT provider on their workers comp panel, which is great, but isn't a large part of our business, but we also get, um, their employees who are not coming in for workers comp, but they're, they're coming in, uh, they're referred in literally by the company, which has been, uh, great for us. The, I'm wondering that can you expand on any examples that you know, or what exactly, like, what does that look like for the average practice owner who's listening to this? They're trying to make up for lost revenues. How do they think about approaching a, an employer um, and, you know, entering into a relationship with them where they're providing PT services to their employees? Sure. I, I think you know, that that may be the first key is identifying those relationships and identifying those you know, potential employers through business contacts that may have a need. I think when you look out there today, it's surprising the number of employers that are self-insured and therefore are incentivized, you know, maybe more than in, in the traditional setting to manage their costs. So where we see, you know, practices looking at those opportunities are whether it's, as you describe, you know, in the workers' compensation space, whether it's, you know, wellness, whether it's injury prevention, you know, thinking about kind of what the employers' pain points are and saying, okay, how can I address those? So we have other practices, for example, that have set up part-time clinics on site at large manufacturing facilities where they may have a therapist on site a certain number of days a week or a certain number of hours. And I think some of the benefits of that are, you know, less administrative burden and dealing with payers, you know, a, a better way to sort of align incentives, you know, with employers and see what that looks like. Obviously, they're looking to provide, you know, quick, direct, you know, cost-effective services to their employee populations and mitigate some of those downstream costs that I think providers in the physical therapy space are, you know, have a great opportunity to serve some of those needs. Awesome. Uh, I just wrote this down, but uh, I don't know why I didn't think about this yesterday when we were talking, but I, I, I would, if you have... Um, Anybody I can talk with that's having success in that space, um, I'll ask you for a referral when we're offline here. So sure, uh, sure, yeah, completely missed that one. the The other thing that I'm hearing a lot is um, around making up for lost revenues. That not only should we be changing our model, but the most common thing I'm hearing is adding some sort of cash pay service. So the idea behind that is. Um, and I, and I have no 
horse in the race here other than we're trying to solve the same problems. So if our margins are shrinking, downward pressure on revenue and upward pressure on costs, we, and but we're already, you know, marketing, we're already capturing uh, the, the patient for a core service, delivering physical therapy. Is there something else that we can add in? So that is wide and varied. Um, I know there are some pitfalls in there. I know uh, that you have given me personal advice or business advice on, you know, some things to avoid, mistakes to avoid. You know, do I need an ABN if it's a Medicare patient and I'm selling them, you know, another service or anything like that? What are you hearing? What are you seeing in the marketplace for trying to add cash pay services in our practice? Yeah, I don't know that I've seen anything that's sort of new and innovative, right? In terms of, hey, this is the way we have practice clients that seem to have kind of hit a home run. I do think we are certainly seeing a continued push in that space, whether it's, you know, wellness, fitness, you know, medically oriented gyms, kind of whatever the description may be, whether it's, you know, cash-based massage services, kind of, we're seeing a lot of those, you know, I guess more traditional services. I think to your point, the, the, the line to consider from a, you know, individual practice perspective is, you know, when is that traditional physical therapy you know, medically necessary therapy services that are more appropriately, you know, built through insurance, assuming that you're, you know, in network or otherwise providing those services to a patient. And then being cautious on kind of that delineation with when you can charge cash, you know, to a patient that otherwise may carry insurance when you're, when you're a provider. So I think that's something to keep in mind, but certainly we see this, you know, where practices are more and more looking for these opportunities to, you know, ultimately, you know, improve revenue and improve, you know, profitable dollars coming in the door. Yeah. Great. So, uh, putting you on the spot here, not really. Um, <laughs> I'm, I would, I would expect nothing else, Chad. <laughs> I, I was, uh, so literally on a, an implementation call earlier today, practice owner, Jennifer, um, Ratner, she's in Texas and, uh, had a question and I said, yes, um, I'll be on with Paul. I'm literally going to ask him this question and, uh, and it'll be recorded for you as well. So the, her <laughs> question was, the, she was, she was talking about, you know, potentially adding uh, concierge services or, uh, you know, something along those lines to say, let's call them cash pay services. At the same time, she has a thriving full physical therapy practice isn't there some sort of law around you can't have more than one EIN number as a Medicare um, provider under the, you can't have one like in the same space or something like that. Did I just make that up in my very No, no that the, there is, there is language in the Medicare conditions that speak to the fact that you'll use your space exclusively to operate a physical therapy practice. So I do think you have to be cautious, certainly depending on what the structure of the organization looks like, where if, you know, by way of example, something that could be concerning is, you know, you've got two, we'll call them patients, clients, whatever, because I don't know the exact specifics of her circumstance, but, you know, you have five treadmills in a row, you know, every other person is, is with a different company, you know, or EIN, depending on the model. I certainly, you know, think that's something that, a practice has to consider and think about. I think there, I do think there are ways that you can potentially structure 
a relationship where it works. So for example, let's say you had, you know, one practice operating Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the other business operating Tuesday, Thursday. So I know realize that may not make business sense, but just by way of example, there are presumably ways that you can look at a structure like that um, and make it work. So I certainly don't know enough about hers to say whether it's right or wrong, but it is an issue to consider when you're looking at, you know, multiple operations in one physical space. It sounds like there's some variables that could be at play that uh, we'll, we'll need some detail on. So Jennifer gave him my best shot. Uh, make sure you follow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, podcast listeners, when we make assumptions about others, it's just not fair. In spite of that, I'm going to make an assumption about you. You have a growth mindset. You want to help more people, leave a bigger impact, build a better practice. Am I close? If I'm right, then I have a unique offer that I think you'll be interested in. But first, if you're a regular listener, you probably know that this is brought to you by Breakthrough, the leading platform for private practice growth. Breakthrough's mission is to help people in pain get back to normal, live healthier, and do it naturally. The best way to do this is by empowering private practice owners like you to grow your business through direct-to-consumer marketing. If you're a practice owner with a growth mindset, you'd benefit from a risk-free consultation with a breakthrough growth expert. Go to getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer to take advantage of this unique opportunity. On that call, you'll learn the key principles of how practice owners are helping more people, creating a bigger impact, and building better businesses with Breakthrough Systems. As an added bonus, the team at Breakthrough is giving a $50 Amazon gift card to any of the podcast listeners who attend this growth consultation. Sign up for your growth consultation and $50 gift card at getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. Again, that's getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. The other big topic that I wanted to talk with you about is um, practice valuations and you know what you're seeing in terms of uh, the M&A space right now with mergers and acquisitions. I know you see tremendous deal flow. You've personally helped me uh, go through the process uh, more than once um, as well, uh, whether it's an internal or external sale. What are you seeing in today's market? How has it changed over the, the past year? And you know, what can the, the average owner that's listening to this, thinking of exiting in three to five years, how can they get their ducks in a row? Yeah, I think we've certainly seen, you know, in our office, we do see a high deal volume. I mean, we're a small piece of the, uh, you know, of the total U.S. market, presumably, but we see a lot of them. We had a number of transactions that closed you know, basically a week ago at, at year end. So we're still seeing a lot of volume. Last year, we saw a lot of volume. I think the you know, with some of the changes that you mentioned earlier in this discussion that are affecting the economy overall, you know, inflation, you know, general market conditions, you know, my, my thought, and we all wish we had that crystal ball, but I think we probably will, you know, see or are starting to see maybe some softening of valuations. Um, you know, we have a number of deals in the pipeline, so I don't know that it's, you know, certainly not turning off the you know, the faucet in terms of the transaction volume. But I think people will be a little more cautious, you know, from the from the buyer side when they look at transactions. I think if, you know, if if you're not there, right, uh, you and I chatted a little bit about this in the prep meeting, yeah, it's sort of like if, if I'm not selling today, you know, 
what do I think about for when I'm ready to do that? If that's, you know, if that's the position the practice is in looking externally, you know, it is a lot of the things that, you know, probably haven't changed that much, which is okay. If I think I want to go to market in five years, you know, what do I do internally? You you probably want to do things, you know, like make sure that you've got somebody that maybe looks over your financials and make sure they're comfortable and they check out, you know, as, as you know, if you go through the process, you know, buyers are going to get out a microscope and look at your financials and make sure that they all check out. I think, you know, on the operation side, certainly you can, you know, clean things up and get clean operations. And then I think, you know, from a, from an overall, I'll call sort of legal and compliance side, you know, looking at your billing practices, looking at your documentation, you know, and any good buyer is going to ask for a handful of charts to audit as part of the process. So I think it's probably just getting your practice, you know, looking at some of those best practices um, to prepare and, and, and be ready. Because if you go into the process and you're not, you know, the, the, the buyer community and physical therapy is smart enough. So they're going to, they're going to figure it out pretty soon. And you don't want to be, you know, a month or two months into that when issues start to come up. Yeah. I think that's fair. The, Probably the thing that I see most common with friends who are practice owners who are about to go through the process um, or have started the process is there, there's an underestimation of work involved. Um, and if if that homework hasn't been done, and, and I myself did this as well, just completely underestimated um, the work that it took to get my house in order. And this is years ago. Um, more recently, you know, we have a more robust team um, that has helped us uh, make that happen. But uh, yeah, that that completely appreciate that. You used a word there. Uh, the market is softening. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm guessing the valuations are not as aggressive uh, as they were a year ago. I I would say that's true. I, I guess my my pause is that I, I think we're just sort of getting into the tip of that. So I think if like if we had a transaction that, as you know, you know, could take a, a number of months to get through the process, you know, many of these that we're closing at in, at this point near the end of the year have been under letter of intent for a number of months. So I, I think, you know, oftentimes when transactions come to my desk, Right. There's already been some negotiation with the practice owner and a potential buyer or, you know, an investment advisor or whoever else may be involved in it. So I think I'll probably see those trends a little bit later. Um, so if, if you were going out and talking to a buyer today, you'd see it before I would. So I, I definitely think we're, we're starting to see it. It's probably out there more of the folks that are at sitting at the table trying to figure out if they can identify a match. If that makes sense, we were probably a little lagged in our office where my guess is if we had this same discussion in a 12 month or 12 weeks, you know, we'd be talking about those deals that we're getting under letter of intent the first quarter. And, and we may even start to see a little more of that. Yeah. I, I mean, my assumption has always been that you know, as interest rates go up and uh, borrowing power either decreases or is more expensive, our, our valuations are naturally going to go down coupled with you know downward pressure on reimbursements and revenue um fair enough the 
one more question for you on um, an external sale, which would be if I'm just getting started, I've been in practice, uh, you know, thinking through this, I've been in practice for 20 years, hypothetically, and um, although I, I guess I have been now, but uh, <laughs> just thought of that. Um, and, you know, I want, I'm thinking of uh, exiting in three to five years and I want to start getting, uh, want to get the process rolling. The first thing that I always say is to have you called Paul Welk, yep. But um, what, the, the, what would be the first step? So we're having our first conversation. I'm thinking about getting my practice uh, ready to uh, transition externally in three to five years. Where do I start? What's the, what's the first step when I when I work with you? Yeah, it, it, it's and maybe this is obvious. You almost start with the you know the ultimate end in mind, right? And it and to some degree, you know, you look at it and think, okay, if if I'm going to be in that position where I want to go sit down at the table with a potential purchaser in three to five years, you know, I want to have I want to have my house in order. So I think you almost do, you know, an internal assessment. I mean, if you're bad at 20 years, hopefully you have a pretty good idea of, hey, you know, my accountant is very strong or my accountant isn't very strong or my internal compliance team is great or I don't have an internal compliance team. I hope I'm billing right. And so I think you identify your areas of risk. And again, there are probably three or four spaces where you'd, you know, take a look say, okay, this is somewhere where I, I know I need to do some work because as you know, you know, and everybody that's listening as a practice owner knows, it's not like you flip a light switch if you've got a compliance issue or if you've got financials that are not good, right? Most buyers are looking at, at you know, for purposes of valuation, looking at a trailing 12 months of financials. So even if you identify issues today, you've got a reasonably long runway until, you know, you could present a, a clean product at the end of the day. I think the other thing to think about is, right, I mean, valuation and purchase price is obviously important. So I think you could start to look at things maybe in a way that you haven't historically to say, okay, you know, if my practice is running, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, you know, making the money I need to make and you know, making my house payments, making my car payments. But, you know, are there ways that you can clean up processes internally or, you know, look at different revenue streams or whatever the case may be to, uh, to raise your valuation. And if you don't have any idea what your practice is worth, it's probably worth talking to somebody that can help you determine, okay, I know, I, I know what it's worth. Because sometimes if, if it's not something you're familiar with and you don't know the process, you may have no idea. And that's not a position to be in. And if you know it early and you know, I, if I tweak these five variables, you know, in three years, I'm going to have a lot better, you know, much more valuable practice to take to market. Yeah, very fair. Um, and thanks for that insight. The The final topic that I want to ask you about is uh, internal sale. I know you've helped me with this. Um, one of the big problems that we're hearing in private practice right now is it's nearly impossible for us to compete with the hospital or the healthcare systems and what they can pay in compensation for DPTs in today's market. The way that we've thought about that and started to problem solve, and this is, I mean, you helped us with this back in 2012, beginning in 2012, is to have some equity um, for the, the therapist. There's no hospital or healthcare system that I know of that's offering any sort of equity. Um, right. 
So the, the compens we might not be able to compete, you know, and pay a, a full-time DPT 110K in total compensation for treating a full-time schedule, at least not in our market. Um, we can't compete with that, but we can help them have and build long-term equity. Are you seeing anything in that space? Has that kind of calmed down a little bit? Any Anything that's uh, creative within that? that uh that line of thinking or any anything new that you've you've come across yeah i mean we still see a fair amount of that you know i probably have somewhere between five and ten internal sales that we're working on right now um where you know employees generally are you know being offered equity or even new hires you know appropriate you know mature clinic manager level new hires if there's a market that's identified and there's a relationship, you know, bringing that person in to start in a new market. And we really see, I guess, a, a couple of models of sort of what that looks like. One, excuse me, one being, do you have the employee or the new individual, you know, get equity at what I'll call the parent or sort of across the practice level. So if you have a practice that's got five locations, you know, is it appropriate for you know, someone to come in and say, hey, I'd like to be a 5% owner of the organization or of the practice? Or we see, I guess I'd probably almost say a little more commonly now, people looking to bring in you know, owners at a, a local clinic level and structure it in a way where you, you know, many times, and it's probably beyond the scope to get into the details, but you can get to a point where, for example, uh, you know, if you were a practice owner, Chad, and, and, and wanted to bring me in to run 20, you know, have a 20% stake in a clinic, you can legally structure that in a way that my equity is in that clinic only. Obviously, I've got greater motivations, you know, to work locally, to grow that market. And to your point, to, to grow that equity, you may not be able to pay me the same as the hospital system can. But at the end of the day, you know, to your point, I'm not growing anything there of long-term value. So I do think we see that. I mean, you run into some issues that are a little bit unique to external. For example, how do you finance it? You know, most folks that, you know, are, are coming in in the scenario I described, you know, they may have one or two or three young kids. They have just taken on a mortgage, may have $200,000 in student loan payments. So oftentimes, you know, we do see some level of, practice or practice owner financing associated with that. I mean, that's a personal decision on the side of the practice owner on whether they're willing to offer that. But practically, we see a reasonable amount of that to to make it a, a transaction that can work. Yeah. Cool. Um, the, yeah, so, so far we've talked about um, external sale, internal sale, just blanking on the first thing that we talked about, which I, I'm thinking cash pay, all oh, revenues, costs, um, yeah, the concierge service for Jennifer Ratner. <laughs> Any anything else that uh, is in your in your radar? Anything else uh, coming up this year? I know you, you're pretty in touch with uh, legislative issues and um, anything else that we need to be paying attention to right now as a private practice. Yeah, I think the I think another thing that's interesting and it you and I talked a little about this yesterday, may create some opportunities for practices in particular, maybe smaller practices, you know, that 
you know, may have owners that are you know, looking for exit opportunities. We talked yesterday, you and I on our prep call about the cost of a, you know, opening a de novo clinic mm. and sort of the, how that has skyrocketed like everything else that's, you know, in the world from a price perspective. And, you know, I, I don't know that I can say I've seen somebody specifically do the analysis of saying it's better for me to buy this clinic than to build out one in a new location. I can certainly see that with the build out costs and the, you know, we have practice owners telling us it's three times as much as it would have been, you know, 12 months ago to build out a clinic. So suddenly you've gone from, you know, a hundred thousand to 300,000, you know, I would ask, should you just buy a clinic from someone that's looking to potentially exit for 400,000 or 500,000 and get goodwill and all the other things that come along with it? I don't know if we'll see that as a trend, but with the costs, it, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. The, um, I did forget about that, but, uh, yeah, the one example that I shared that I've shared in the past is when we opened our Hershey clinic in April of 2022, that, um, the cost on that for us to finish 1800 square feet construction cost was, I think $41,000. We had some slight modifications, a little bit of plumbing change, uh, but nothing out of the ordinary. In the same building, we're now expanding from the 1800 to I think 3,900 square feet. And the cost to finish that additional, roughly the same square footage um, is nearly, it, I just looked it up, it, it's two and a half times as much. I think I told you it was three times, 120K, but it was really uh, right around 100K. Nonetheless, the cost is going through the roof and all things are the same. So it's the same contractor, it's the same building owner, um, the same <laughs> township that's doing the permitting, uh, nothing extravagant about the finishes or no wall changes or major plumbing changes or anything like that. But it's just the, the cost of doing business and space has gone up tremendously. So yeah, I completely appreciate what you said there about, you know, are there opportunities within the marketplace to, um, to bring on board an existing clinic you know, share amongst the cost savings and make a successful transition for an owner, um, for, you know, likely one owner and then another one, um, to go through that merging process makes sense. Cool. Yeah. And I think the other thing you and I chat a little bit about was you know, going out of network and do we see folks that are, you know, that are doing that in their practices? I, I mean, we do see some of it. I mean, it, it, it's interesting. I, I would say, and you know, I'm not usually in you know, in the weeds of sort of that decision making process, but I can tell you that I think we're seeing more practices that are taking almost like a hybrid approach in network with some payers, out of network with others. I think we used to, you know, certainly we would see in network the vast majority of the clients that that we happen to work with. I mean, certainly we have you know the cash based client population as well, but we see, I think, more folks really assessing the different you know, networks on a payer-by-payer -payer basis and being in-network here and, and at a network there and trying to see, you know, how can you manage that? I, I, you know, certainly you can make an effort to sit down with a payer and, and try to negotiate higher rates. You know, that's certainly not easy to do no matter who you are. 
And it's very hard to do if you're one or two clinic locations. And, you know, you, you quite frankly, probably don't have a lot of leverage. I'm, I don't want to discourage anybody from doing it. Just from a realistic perspective, you're probably not going to get a, a large national buyer to come in and jump up your rates. I mean, you may be able to. So I, I say keep trying. But I, I think we do see people kind of assessing that in-network, out-of-network. I guess the one thing, you know, we've talked a fair amount about sales and valuations. You know, certainly, and it's it's not across the board by any sense, but I do think if, you know, if you're out-of-network with most buyers, you know, that's something that's probably going to come up in discussions on a potential future acquisition. If you're looking to sell and the buyer is in-network, you know, with, with many of the payers, you know, how's that going to be handled as part of the transition with your patient population? But, you know, that's in the examples we've been given three to five years down the line. And if you say, Hey, uh, you know, I need to make some changes now, you, know, you probably make them and, and deal with those issues later. Great. Uh, awesome advice there. Any, anything else on your list that you have? <laughs> written down or any other trends that you're you're seeing uh i i don't think so i mean we talked a little bit about you know recruitment and staffing i mean that's very difficult right i mean that, that's that's not the most profound statement that's going to be made on this on this discussion today right i mean everybody's seeing it i mean we are seeing you know and it's not like you can just keep throwing money at folks and and you know fixing this problem from a trend perspective, we are seeing a lot more practices that are considering things like, you know, tuition forgiveness, signing bonuses. You know, we're I actually worked on an agreement this morning for a practice that had an aid that they were going to pay a portion of their next couple of years of PT school in exchange for a work commitment. So somebody that they've had around really liked, we're going to make a, you know, five figure, you know, low five figure investment in in exchange for, you know, a multi-year work commitment on the back end. So, you know, whatever you can do, and and, and I talk to students a couple times a, a year at least, and, and I think, you know, it's, while it's a lot about the money, right, it's, it's not all about the salary. So I think when you look at the benefit package that you offer to folks, it's just helping them to understand that it's, it's more than just salary. And again, they're going to come out with that and I'm, I'm not naive. I know the first thing they're going to look at is that, but when I talk to, you know, newer grads or, you know, younger folks that are moving around, it's, you know, consider the whole picture, consider the culture, consider those things that, you know, may not have a dollar value, but if you're trying to recruit, how do you differentiate yourself? So people want to work for you, even if, you know, as, as Chad illustrated earlier, you might be 5,000 or 10,000 less than a local hospital. Yeah, that that I I think that component what you just talked about there is highly underrated, and we don't um, emphasize it, exploit it enough within the marketplace that it, we we do have a different setting. And you know, I I think the statistics at least that I had looked at a few years ago through um, the association APTA was that. Uh, more than half of graduating DPTs wanted to work in an outpatient setting, but um, the majority of those were not because of either availability or concerns about student loans. So I, I can recall, you know, when I was uh, applying to 
you mentioned Duquesne, applying to Duquesne and Misericordia and Scranton, having conversations in the mid nineties of uh, graduating uh, PTs that were having their final year, their master's year paid for um, at the time. And I think that, you know, if the pendulum continues to swing the way that it is with um, just a, a lack of talent willing to work um, in the marketplace that we, we might start seeing that, that the the pay line is going to go literally to into their education where mm -hmm. we might start seeing employers pay for that, that final year of schooling or somehow subsidized the education process in exchange for a work commitment. At mm -hmm. the, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the aid, I'm not sure you could go earlier than an aid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah. It's like that eighth grader signing a college letter of intent. Yeah, that may be that may be a little hard in the in, in the PT marketplace. That's her boys were just asking me this last night. They they tried to tell me that a friend at school just had a full ride offer to uh, Virginia Tech, and uh, the 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 details were very murky. And I was like, this sounds like a ninth grader just making up a story. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I, I completely understand what you're talking about there. That yeah, it, I don't think we'll see that, but I, that pay line does seem to be moving earlier and earlier for employees. Paul, uh, as always, thanks for bringing a, a wealth of knowledge and uh, your astute awareness in terms of what's going on in the private practice industry right now. I appreciate your thoughts and and also your time. Thanks for doing this. Hey, anytime, Chad. Glad to be here. And what? If somebody's interested and they want to have a conversation with you about their practice, about an internal sale, an external sale, about some sort of potentially uh, legal issue, I know you you help you have a division also that helps with uh, employment law. Um, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Sure, uh, I can be reached by phone anytime. That's four one two five nine four five five three six is my direct dial or my email. Uh, pwelk at tuckerlaw.com. I'd be happy to chat with any of your folks that may want to reach out with a concern or issue. Awesome. Thank you for that. I will make sure that uh, both, that's your direct cell line? Uh, no, that's my direct office line. I okay. I'll, I'll stop <laughs> sharing your direct uh, cell line. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, also your email, we'll make sure your direct office line and your <laughs> are in the show notes as well. Thanks again for doing this, Paul. Hey, thanks, Chad, for having me. Have a good day. Remember to visit GetBreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.